I always kind of grew up going nothing, and I had a father that uh, would encourage this, this narrative in my brain, there's nothing you can't do. And so with that thought process really ingrained in your brain, which is nothing but narrative, we choose to think that way. Um, I really didn't think I needed a bucket list. If I wanted to do it, I would go out and do it. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Welcome back to the forge. We haven't done one of these in a while. We're going to call them reflections. We haven't done one in a while, and we we said last time we did this, we're going to do it every two weeks, and and that was that was a good goal, right? It was a good. Lofty, that was a good goal. It's good to have goals. Yeah, a good lofty <laughs> goal, and then and then I think reality set in for both Tara and I, and we we just realized, as much as we we get excited about these and we want to do more of them, and we will do more of them, we also realized this is a part time job for for those of you that are listening, and if you've never done a podcast, this might be a little bit of a surprise to you. Uh, because I think it's it's a little bit of a surprise to us how much w- w- you know time and energy we put into this. It is it's like a part time job. So it's it's taken up some of our bandwidth, probably a little more than we expected. Uh, and then some other things that are kind of going on in the background that are also eating into that bandwidth is we we started a podcast for the University of Colorado, and so this is through the Center for Leadership, which I'm uh, an executive member of that uh, committee and. So we talk about leadership topics and we will put a, a link to that. If you, if you're interested in leadership topics, uh, it's a little bit, it's going to be a little different than forging metal, obviously, but we, we really get into leadership topics. So if you're interested in maybe following us along our journey, as we, we do that podcast as well, we will, we will share that link. And we're also working on a an eight part webinar series that we're going to be doing with, you know, some topics we talk about typically on the show, obviously. And, um, some, even some topics I think we'll talk about today, uh, based on mental toughness, resilience, and grit. Um, you know, we say in the workplace and we're, uh, we have companies asking us to do it in the workplace, but to be honest, I think this is, I think everything you're, you need for the workplace, uh, post COVID, is also uh, something that we all need in our personal lives as well. So it kind of is a twofold, and that's what we're seeing when we bring these these series into corporations. But also uh, a fun one, which is um, the art of narrative and communication and good communication skills. That's that's the second part of this eight part webinar. Yeah, and I would agree with Tara, and I think I don't know, maybe a lot of our listeners would agree. This I don't resilience. Resilience is a, is a buzzword right now uh, as we go through COVID. You don't hear as much about mental toughness, but you should, um, in my humble opinion. But but I don't think this is going away. We are going to come out of COVID, and, and we will get back to some kind of normalcy. There's there's no doubt in my mind. But I think the, the idea of mental health and resilience uh, are not going away. Uh, I think it was starting to pick up steam even before COVID hit. Uh, the, the warning signs were there that we're not doing a good enough job as a society to focus on these things. And, and much of what we're doing with this podcast 
you may not see it under the surface, but it, it really is at, at the heart of it. It's mental health. And, you know, whether you don't like that word mental health or not, call it mental fitness, call it, I don't like really mental wellness, but that's used as well. Whatever you want to call it. Do not confuse mental health with mental illness. Nothing wrong with mental illness either, but mental illness is just one subset of mental health. And so this is, this is near and dear to Tara and I, and, and I think this is corporations are screaming for this kind of content right now. And, um, we're in a, I think we're in a pretty good position to deliver that. Uh, we're, we're certainly not psychotherapists or psychologists. Uh, but we do hope though, to expand on, on topics like this in the future. Um, we're looking at, we're looking at some fun stuff today. We're going to take a minute, you know, we, last time, if you remember Tara interviewed myself. And so today we're going to, we're going to flip that around and we're going to put, we're going to put the spotlight on Tara. Tara's favorite much, thing in the world. I know how much she likes it. This is not true. <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, I don't know. Should I put on my, I don't know. I don't have a psychotherapist hat, but should I put on my, my psychotherapist hat and say, okay. Go you know, ahead, analyze me on this one. Yeah, let's, yes. let's, yep. let's see if we can understand what's going on there. No, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to do that. Um, I know that one of the things that's near and dear to your heart is this idea of narrative and story and and with your background as, as the listeners will will hear that maybe that makes sense because you have a background and essentially in storytelling and you you talk to young entrepreneurs uh, early stage companies to help them build their story and if you think that's an easy thing to do i would say it's it's probably not as easy as you think it is so uh, i think there's a real um, skill and talent there that you have so what is it we're going to talk about your story um what is it uh, let's start with that what is your story tara how did how did you come to be on maybe the forging metal podcast and how did our paths cross what's your story Thanks, Ron. You know, um, it, I, I just want to point out to you and probably the listeners, when we talk about people doing hard things, um, maybe I've done some hard things in my life that people would say, oh my gosh, that's insane. That's crazy. That's hard. This right here, what we're about to do is about the hardest thing I can do, which is talking, <laughs> and you know this about me, Ron, talking about myself and sharing my own story. But man, when I can be with other people, to help them share their story, it's a whole different side of my brain. And so not only brain, but passion. Um, and I, I think this, I'm learning so much in the power of my own struggles in, in talking about my life and my story in helping other people, because I don't think I'm alone. I think there are quite a few people. Some people love to talk about themselves. Others really struggle. Um, and, you know, uh, I see that with university students, especially. So understand you're not alone, because even though I've been storytelling for people for, you know, a couple of decades, it's very, very hard for me to do it myself. Um, you know, I started out uh, a very, very shy um, high schooler, like to the nth degree shy. And so as any shy young girl growing up in Phoenix, Arizona would do, I ran off and joined the Air Force at 20. <laughs> I tried to go to college for a little while while working three jobs to support myself and living in my own apartment. And that really wasn't cutting it. And I really just wanted to travel. I wanted to travel more than anything in the world. And um, 
And so I found a way to do it. You know, people say, God, I could never, how could you do that? And I thought, well, I had to do something really crazy to make it happen, which was go put on combat fatigues, go through basic training <laughs> and learn how to uh, hang out of helicopters and everything else, which ended up actually being really exhilarating for me. I love doing, as you'll hear, some kind of wild and crazy stuff, uh, though it's tamed down in the last couple of years since I turned 40. Um, but I ran off and I joined the Air Force when I was 20 years old. And I was lucky enough to spend the next 14 years living literally all over the world. I was never in the United States other than Christmas time with family. And I was also very, very lucky with the job that I had, which was um, uh, as a TV journalist. Um, and so I had the opportunity to live in you know, seven different countries, travel to somewhat over 50 countries, learn different cultures and languages and what makes people tick and thousands of stories that I got to um, be a part of. Uh, and after I left the Air Force uh, in my, I don't know, early 30s, I decided to move back to the United States for a while to be around family. And so I first went to Alaska and did some very um, underpaid fun work as a kayak guide in the Alaskan waters, which was so much fun. Uh, then I moved to Hawaii. I lived there for a few years and uh, uh, learned how to surf, which is very humbling. It's a very humbling experience. And uh, while I was there, I made money teaching leadership and team dynamic skills to small business owners. And I did that because it just seemed oddly easy. You know, go in, talk to people, ask them questions, and figure out their problems and solve them for them. And it was in that that I learned what my my future calling was going to be, um, helping people with their stories and to uh, not only be better at business, but to be better for humans, which I know we, we want to talk about today. But the whole concept of it, if you're going to run a company and do something important, you need to take care of the people that are under you. Like there is no better way to to run a company than to take care of the people under you. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And then I moved to San Francisco to be part of the tech startup community because why not? And then of course, four years ago, I moved to Colorado and that's where I am now. And I can't imagine I will ever leave. I've literally spent my whole life moving everywhere. And I think I'm, I'm done. Colorado is one of the best places in the world. Uh, I think you'd probably agree, Ron. It's like the best base camp to do everything you want to do and just have the best weather. And um, and so here I work with startup companies, uh, very heavily involved in the startup community here in Boulder, which is is a growing and exciting startup world. And I love to help people build stories and create company culture. And so that's what you know, brought Ron and I together. Um, I was actually teaching startup companies and asked him to come in to be a leadership and human dynamics coach for a lot of my CEOs who were struggling. And uh, for years, he came in and volunteered. Oh my gosh, volunteered to, I say leadership coach, but really he was a, a therapist. I was I a counselor. You were a counselor, right? Mar marriage counselor. And a marriage counselor. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and he, uh, he just, he would teach some classes on, on things like um, performing under pressure, just incredible topics. 
that would really move our CEOs and uh, and their teammates. And so uh, we started teaching together at the University um, of Colorado in Boulder. And from there, just in over a thousand different discussions with a thousand different experiences with struggles that people are going through, we both kind of landed on this concept over many, many beers of mental toughness, resilience, and grit is the future of taking care of people. Um, and we want to help people achieve that. And we want to achieve it in the process. So, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking is, you know, maybe people have heard me say this, the, the one with the best stories wins. That's, that's mm-hmm. kind of my, uh, almost one of my mantras in life. It's not about the material things. It's what kind of stories do you have? You know, when, when the end of life comes, can you look back at the stories that you, you experienced and, and were part of? And, and I think that's where the value is in, in a great life. And so when I hear you, Tara, I go, holy moly. Talk, I mean, you said thousands of stories and I'm like, I can't even imagine the stories that you have from your journey. And you also, you know, really specialize in this idea of stories and narrative. How is it possible that you haven't written a book? Uh, Come on, there's a book in there. I we, think we, we got to get you writing. <laughs> I've been asked that question a lot. And to be honest, um, and this sounds weird, but I don't really have much of a bucket list. Um, and, um, I just feel like, uh, I never felt like I was a lucky person. I thought I was actually, I had a lot of negative self-talk and felt very unlucky with things that life dealt me up until the age of 20. And, um, I think I literally have been really incredibly lucky since then to live out a lot of my life dreams or what dreams I thought I had. And so I don't have a lot on my bucket list except to write a book, (laughs) right? Because I think, um, I think I'd really like to try that and I'd really like to see if it tanks or if it, it succeeds. And I'll be honest, Ron, I think I just don't have the, um, uh, grit, for that one exercise, because I have probably 85 chapters written in a thousand different places within my house and on my laptop and my cell phone. I just need to put it all together, except you're going to teach me how to do it because you're, you're structured and, and you're, you're writing your own book right now and you're actually making some headway. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I, it echoes kind of the journey I took. I, I would say it was roughly three years ago. I started writing a book. And I got, I actually got, I don't know, a third of the way through a book. And, and then I said, what the hell am I doing? I don't know I what doing? I'm doing. Is anybody mm. going to, you know, all of these, all the self-doubt that, that every, not only every new author, but anybody that this is, you know, fits well with the theme of this podcast. Anything you do for the first time, you're going to have self-doubt. And you're going to have those as, you know, Stephen Pressfield would say, you're going to have the resistance you know, if, if you want to read a great book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, he talks a lot about the resistance that you're going to feel. And if you let that resistance win, of course, you're not going to do anything. You're not you're really not going to live the life that, that you really deserve. And and so what where am I going with this is for three years, I struggled with the resistance. The resistance won and I gave up on it and I put it off to the side and it collected dust. And now it's like some kind of switch is flipped and I'm ready. And so I guess my, my counsel for you, Tara, is I think, you know, keep wrestling with it. 
but when it's time, it'll, it'll, I think it'll, it'll come down. And you, you, as I like to say, the muse or, or Stephen Pressfield would say, the muse will visit you. And all of a sudden it's all going to come pouring out. So I think, I think from our discussion, it's it's right on the cusp. I think you're on the cusp (laughs) of of breaking through because you've, you've kind of wrestled with this already. And, And maybe that book is, is just waiting for the right moment to, to start. Although the self-doubt doesn't go away, right? You know, I think to myself, you know, maybe nobody will read my book, but that's okay. I would say it's on my bucket list too. But let me ask you this. Yeah. yeah. You say you don't really have a bucket list. Is that because you checked it all off already? Or did you, even back in the day, you know, your 20s and 30s, did you have a bucket list then that you were pursuing? You know, some people do. So I, I had one back in my 20s. Um, did you have a bucket list? And, yeah, you know, question. Is, what's driving you forward now? If you have no bucket list now, what is it that, um, what is that, what's feeding the dopamine system, the pursuit mm. mechanism of what am I, what am I trying to do? What am I striving for? I don't think I, I'm like racking my brain. I don't think I ever sat down and wrote any semblance of a bucket list. And right. I'm not sure I ever thought about it. I think um, I used to be fueled and still to some point right now in my life. But when I was younger, I was fueled by, you can't do this, Tara, you're not smart enough, you don't have the education, you don't have the strength. Um, If I heard those words, that was like, limitless fuel for Tara. And so, you know, you hear this a lot. And uh, even joining the Air Force, uh, which is a male dominated organization that requires actually believe it or not, you can't even get in if you can't meet their strength parameters. And then, you know, if you've seen movies on basic training, it's not, uh, it's not a vacation. Um, And you hear a lot of people screaming at you and saying, you can't do this because you're a girl, or you can't do this because you're weak. I think those things would fuel me. Um, And so I always kind of grew up going nothing. And I had a father that uh, would encourage this, this narrative in my brain, there's nothing you can't do. And so with that thought process really ingrained in your brain, which is nothing but narrative, we choose to think that way. Um, I really didn't think I needed a bucket list. If I wanted to do it, I would go out and do it. Now, did I fail sometimes? Sure. Did I, was I too afraid to do a couple of things here and there? Absolutely. But, you know, when someone says, hey, let's go learn how to rock climb 2000 foot faces, I was like, done. Well, yeah, spent the next 15 years doing that. Let's go hike the seven summits. I only made it up one, but uh, uh, I was like done. Like, um, so I think that's to answer the question of, now I don't think I ever had a bucket list, but I will say, you know, amazingly enough, your adrenaline rushes change as you age. Um, I, I don't wanna say you get older and you quit, but it does change and my priorities have changed um, as I sort of start to enter the second half of my life. And the priorities now, um, you know, we talked about this uh, in, a, um, in a recent uh, Center for Leadership podcast with a guest that we haven't aired yet, but once you do all this stuff and you, you know, conquer, some of these, you know, whether it's a, an official bucket list or not, um, your, your priorities change and that's where I'm at. My priorities now are to help other people. So running off and proving myself one way or another, conquering mountains, uh, conquering the sea or the ocean, 
uh, building companies, these things are not on my bucket list. So what fuels me now are finding, especially young people who are starting their journey. And I remember that journey, but they're limited because of some crap that they're thinking mm. or that their parents have instilled in them or that society is instilled in them. And I'm here to go, no, this is just what you are thinking. And amazingly enough, we have all the power minus mental illness. If you have a mental illness, it's very hard to claim power over your brain and your thoughts. But it, without mental illness, we have full power of what we can and cannot do because it's all in our head and what we say to ourselves. So I love helping people break through the barrier of, um, I can't do it for whatever reason. That's what fuels me today. Uh, and that's why we, we work well, so well together because you're I, in the I, same boat. Yeah. Completely agree that what holds most people back is the limitations they put on themselves. They allow that, you know, that primitive part of your brain to, you know, those self doubts that I'm talking about, those, I like to call them the inner demons. Not everybody likes that word, but use whatever. You call it a gremlin, call it whatever. That that little, the, the you know, Stephen Pressfield, call it the resistance. Don't let that part of your brain, you know, put up these obstacles that are imaginary. And and I, I always like to say, I, I coined the term hard limits and soft limits. I do believe there are hard limits out there. We live in a real world. I am not going to be Michael Jordan or, or Albert Einstein. It's just not going to happen. That's Fair a hard enough. limit for me. <laughs> but most of the things that we face in life are soft limits. And what I mean by that is we can not only bust through them, but we can set new limits. And, and you just, I, I, my experience with not only students, but also clients is you have not scratched the surface of what you're capable of. And so I love that you say that, Tara, that, that's a story we're telling ourselves. If you say, I can't do this or I can't do that, are you sure? Have you ever tried? And, and is that just a story? As, as Brene Brown would say, is that a shitty first draft? Right. You know, your brain yeah. is going to create this story. And is there any truth to it? More than likely, there's not a lot of truth to it. There could be, but a lot of times there's not. So I love the fact that you center on that. So what is it What is it about stories that maybe I just answered that question for you? I don't know. But what is it about stories that resonates with you? Why is that? I'm going to call it a sandbox. Why is that the sandbox you like to play in? Well, you know, I think the thing is we don't, we only know uh, what's going on in our own heads, right? We only, it can, we can only control what's going on in our heads. We don't always know that we can control it. <laughs> But with a little bit of, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to grow uh, a garden that could feed myself throughout the entire year until I learned how to do that. I didn't oh, even let, know let me, to... let me interrupt. Yeah. Tara's got a garden that I don't know, would, would put most, I don't, it's just I'm a amazing. little farmer. <laughs> it, but... was, it was crazy. It's huge and beautiful. So yeah, you could feed your whole, I think, block. My whole block. And let me just say, uh, I have never I can't even keep plants alive. And I just up and one day decided last summer, I'm going to learn how to grow food, which is another very humbling experience. But we, um, we can't do things until we learn how to do them. And a lot of us don't know. And I was definitely one of them. And I'm still learning for myself. We don't know how to control our way of thinking until we learn. It's like building a muscle, like doing push-ups. You don't know how to do more than 10 push-ups till you actually practice every day. And so the power of story to me is we cannot know or control what other people are thinking. We just can't. We can do it with ourselves. 
but we can't do it with or for anyone else. But what I think is amazing when we bring other people together in a room or into a situation is the power of normalizing stories. So I don't know what's always going on in your head. I only know what you share with me. And even then I'm open to my own interpretation of that, for example. But what I love is I sit as, a, as an example and say, I'm not smart enough to do this, or I'm not meant for that. Ron is, he's really good at triathlon um, his triathlete capabilities. I could never do that. Except if I get into a room with a bunch of triathletes and they share, you know, I never thought that either. In fact, I go to a race line and let me ask you, Ron, do you ever go to a race line and go, who the hell am I to be running a hundred miles right now? I don't belong here. This is the intro to my book. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it happens all the time. And, and yeah, and, and we've had other guests you know, Dr. Simon Marshall just talked about this idea that, that even the elite athletes have these self-doubts. And so that's, that's kind of interesting, right? That's that, again, I, I think you would agree, Tara, that's a story. That's a story we're telling ourselves. And, and, and I think we, we always got to say, is there any truth to this? Right. And I think we, when we sit alone with that story of, I can't, it builds and it grows with strength and power. But if I sit around with five to 10 triathletes and I say, oh, I could never. And they're like, Tara, I feel that way every time. I might not believe them at first, but after a while, they start explaining this. And I think, well, they're nothing. They're not any different than I am. They go through the same self-doubt that I do. How intriguing. And yet they're doing it. And they're succeeding. Even when they go to the start line on a Saturday morning and still have their own self-doubt. And so I think this power of normalizing negative self-talk by getting a group of people together and sharing that we all feel this way helps other people get out of their uh, individual story that is just bringing them down and down in this rabbit hole. And it's like, oh God, you know, nine out of 10 people feel the same way I do. All right. That gives me strength to go out and conquer it then. Except I'm not sure I will ever find the strength to run a hundred miles. I'm just saying that right now, Ron. That's legit. I'm still working on it myself. <laughs> it's funny you say this. So, so this this idea of I can't. You said uh, you know how that can have power over us if we give it power. And I, I I would I would make a joke and say you know where it's really you know where I can't is really really powerful is sitting on your couch. Mm. You got you got to act right. You, you got to get out there and you got to engage. You got I always say you got to engage in battle and uh, we're gonna fail. But this, this also goes back to, I know you've shared on a previous podcast that, you know, this idea of you are the product of the five people you hang around with. If you mm -hmm. hang around, and this is part of my journey as well, is I started hanging around people that did crazy things like run 50 miles or 100 miles, and, and all of a sudden it started rubbing off on me. So that might be a lesson for all of us. That if you want to do something, start hanging around people that do that. So you can emulate that. And, and not only that, but they're positive energy is going to rub off on you. And so I'm always a fan of, if you want to do something hard, go hang out with people that have already done it. And, and it's just amazing how you can, you can tap into their energy. And, and as Tara said, their doubts too. If they're going to be honest with you and vulnerable, they'll tell you when they started and they probably still say that, but even when they started, um, they had all kinds of self doubts, just like we do. It's not, as Tara said, it's, it's, it's normal. 
And I think a lot of people think it's very unique to them. And, and nobody else is thinking like I am, you know. I, I feel like I'm an imposter and nobody else thinks like that. That is so not true. You know, Tara and I did a, a, a webinar, or not a webinar. We, uh, I had Tara come in and do a Workshop. guest lecture um, with my students at the university on imposter syndrome. And so what, um, what's, what's behind imposter syndrome, Tara? And is that, I, I think you would agree, is that, a, is that a pretty normal thing for, for people that you've worked with? Man, not even people I've worked with for myself, right? Um, I think uh, every single person, I mean, statistically goes through imposter syndrome, um, if not uh, many, many, many times or for long periods of time in their life, they do at least at some point. And I didn't even know what that word meant until I started working in the uh, entrepreneurial tech community where that word is, it kind of started surfacing a little bit like seven to 10 years ago, then a, a little bit more five years ago. And in the last five years, actually in the last two years, that word has been surfacing. And I think we have Brene Brown to thank for a lot of these things surfacing because she's just so powerful in her, her messages on being vulnerable and sharing how we all fuck up, right? And when we can do that, we're normalizing the story for others and it becomes a powerful message instead of an icky message. And, you know, um, imposter syndrome, I started uh, reading and hearing about when I was teaching entrepreneurs to be better leaders. When I was doing leadership training and development 20 years ago in the Air Force, we didn't have that word. Um, that word was not in my toolbox and it was certainly not something I was teaching. But it is beautiful today. And every time I teach this workshop, whether it's with young people or CEOs or entrepreneurs or business people, they all, and whether it's international business people, you know, I've taught imposter syndrome with a bunch of Russian business leaders and with university college students. And it makes no difference. Everyone feels the same way, which is this is a taboo word or phrase, imposter syndrome, but I want to start talking about it. And people will open up and share how they feel. They're confused with uh, the big ones that come up. I'm confused with what's the difference between being arrogant um, and saying, I'm not imposter, I'm really good at what I do, versus being humble and saying, oh, I might be good at what I do, versus I really suck and I don't belong here. And so it's, it's talking about that and opening up that dialogue so that people can be aware of the differences between those three. But imposter syndrome is really, uh, it's, it's the negative, it's 100% a story we formulate in our brain. It's not true, there's no basis to it. And you can say, but Tara, no, really, like you are really terrible at running. I'm really terrible at X, but the thing is, we don't need to beat ourselves up over something we're not good at. And imposter syndrome is saying, I don't belong here. I'm broken. I don't do well. I'm an introvert. I don't, I'm not good at public speaking. I'm not good at socializing. I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm not good. I'm a fake. And the thing is, no, you're not. You're human. For one, we all have shit we're not good at. Um, but so what? Come to the table and say, yeah, I'm not really good at public speaking. Maybe one day I will be but I still belong here just as much as the next three people in line that are good public speakers, or I'm not good at um, uh, talking about my feelings. So what? 
Just because the other five people around me are doesn't mean I don't belong here. I still belong here. I've still got great attributes. And what I love teaching on the back end of how do we fix imposter syndrome, because we all have it. I've totally had it a hundred million times in my life is by changing the self-talk, right? We're building that muscle again. We're doing those push-ups every day to get better. What are our strengths? What are we good at? Yeah, we're going to always be bad at stuff. It's always there. But what are we good at? And can we learn to talk about the failures and the, the flaws and the things we're bad at in a positive light? and say, yeah, I'm not good at that, but you know what? Here's the eight other things I am good at. And so I like to teach a follow-up seminar or workshop on one of my favorite topics in the world, superpowers and what is your unique value proposition. And once we start honing our brain, right? And our thought processes on what we're good at, we can get away from this stupid, worthless, negative self-talk of I'm an imposter. And so I love that. But you know what? It's a lifelong journey. There are still days that I, or things that I do that I'm like, I don't belong here. Shit, everybody's smarter than I am or everybody's better at this. And then I just catch myself and I'm like, uh, uh, uh. And I think that's the key. That's the part of the push up, the really important part. Uh, uh, uh. No, no, no. Don't beat yourself up. It's an interesting, um, I don't know, paradox. There's a thing in psychology, I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, where we all think that we're above average, or, or mm-hmm. in, not, not all, but, but in general. So for example, everybody thinks they're an above average driver. If you know anything about <laughs> statistics, you know that's, that's actually impossible. <laughs> but we all think we're, so I, I don't know the that's research a good, that's behind a good this. So <laughs> you were talking about this idea on one end of the spectrum, we have imposter syndrome, but on the other end of the spectrum, we have people that are, that are just oblivious to the fact they're really not that good at something. So I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, I wonder where that, is it, is it, do we think we're above average on things that we're, we do a lot of? Maybe that's what it is. So I always think of imposter syndrome, it's usually the things I've either not done before or I have done very little of that I have imposter syndrome. And I think once I get experience, that starts to go away. I wouldn't say it goes away completely, but I think it starts to fade away for me. Any thoughts on that, Tara? This is a hard one because I think it's a, it's like, yeah, it's a circle effect of um, uh, chicken versus egg in the sense of I find, and I don't want to get too psychological here, but I find very often, especially in one-on-one coaching, that people are more apt to say, oh, I'm really good at this. And you're like, no, you're not. Or all the employees are like, no, he's really not a good leader or she's not a good leader. Um, And the leader is like, I am really good at leadership. That is a defensive mechanism that's blocking low self-esteem more often than not. That's not always the answer. And again, I don't want to get, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, but this has been what I've observed working with people, um, building leadership skills in particular, Um, it's usually tied to, I am trying to overcompensate for a low self-esteem and it doesn't mean necessarily a low self-esteem around leadership skills for in that instance with that person, it could be low self-esteem on everything. Um, and I think the key is one, (laughs) it's obvious, probably self-awareness is also a, um, muscle 
that a lot of us are not born with that we have to exercise and build doing push-ups every day, right? Mental push-ups. Once we become self-aware and we're like, you know what? I have some self-esteem problems and I have had enough feedback from people that I'm not a good leader. Or I've had enough feedback that says I'm not a good listener. Maybe even though I think I am a good leader or a good listener, maybe the other 500 people that have told me I'm not are right and I'm wrong. (laughs) The bummer is it hurts me to admit that. Why? Because I have low self-esteem. Well, how about, and this is the hard part, and this is mental toughness right here at work, doing something that's hard and uncomfortable, which is sucking it up and being vulnerable and taking the self-esteem freaking blow to your psyche of, I'm going to admit to people that I suck at this, but I am going to get better. And that is, that is the ultimate push-up of all push-ups, and most people will not do it. And I think that they miss out on um, really connecting with other humans in a powerful way, and I think they miss out on really being happy and correcting that self-esteem issue, right? Yeah, I was hoping this was going to, as you were talking, I'm like, uh, this has got to lead to vulnerability, right? Man, everything leads to vulnerability. Like, it's like the best candy in the world, but man, we've been taught for so long. I mean, me in the military for 14 years, uh, I was taught vulnerability was the worst thing in the world, right? Um, But damn, it is like the best, most powerful drug on the planet uh, that just changes your life for the better, like, no doubt, but... Well, and I think it's 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 tied to what you're saying is is maybe a low self esteem and low self confidence. Uh, you know, I always say to be vulnerable, you better have some pretty good self confidence because you're putting. I, I've, I've done this before, where it's maybe nauseous to to say, "Man, I screwed up," uh, and throw it out there for the world to look at and examine. This is not an easy thing. You can see why people avoid this like the plague. Especially for, you know, so-called, I'm going to put it in air quotes, strong leaders uh, to be able to admit that you have a weakness, to admit that you don't have it all figured out, you don't have all the answers. That takes a lot of confidence. And I say, you know, that, that, that idea that strong leaders are not vulnerable is, is so outdated. I say it's exactly the opposite. The strongest leaders are the ones that can show their vulnerability. And I'm here to say it's not easy. Um, You know, it it may sound simple, but it's not easy. So I I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your thoughts on that because I think uh, this is a discussion that it's not just us talking about this. You know, Brene Brown, I think, probably started a lot of this discussion, but it's it's picking up a lot of steam and uh, with a lot of our guests. uh, And we we talk about Brene Brown quite a bit. Um, Ron, I know you've been a fan for a long time. I have too. If you haven't watched any of her uh, YouTube talks, TED talks, uh, read, read any of her books, do, because it's a little bit, she's, I mean, she's the, the, she's leading the charge on this and has been for years. And I think she's a great place to start on how to become vulnerable and why it's so important. Um, so yeah, I would highly, highly recommend um, even spending an hour with her online is amazing. And uh, it is you know, it's not just in leadership and it's it's in relationships and I'll go all the way to romantic relationships, uh, your spouse, your significant other. Try this push up standing in front of your partner or your kids, my gosh, and saying, 
I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. I messed up and I need to work harder. And I hope you can forgive me in the heat of an argument that that's a mental, that's a push up that you should use as a scientific experiment for all things in life. Try it. I swear, do it. And those of you, I'm sure a lot of you have done this many, many, many times and you're laughing and you're like, oh yeah, I know how that goes. Watch the way it changes the person standing in front of you, your kid, your significant other, your best friend, because it just, uh, usually if it doesn't, I'm so sorry to, that I told you to do this, but <laughs> usually it softens the person in front of you. They have more respect for you. They have more love for you, more care, and it diffuses everything. And you can imagine if it works there, it works in the, the business world too. Yeah, I think Simon was talking about that's how we connect uh, through vulnerability. Like, connect, like, like Simon said in a previous podcast, uh, Simon Marshall, uh, he said, we don't connect through strength. We connect through our, our weaknesses and, we and sure vulnerability. Do. And so you know, what, what is this all about? It's about connection with people. I, I think at the end of the day, th that's what it's that, that's at the heart of, of everything we're doing. Let's let's go back to you talked about superpowers. Tara, what is your superpower? Uh, I, I have a couple and um, I think everybody should have multiple superpowers. Uh, everybody does have multiple. Everybody has a ton of them. It's you should know several of them and be proud of them. And I didn't always feel that way. I would be like, I don't want to tell you what my superpowers are. That makes me feel arrogant and self-conscious and no, no, no. You tell me what yours are, um, which I'll ask you, of course, Ron. Uh, but I think it's, it took me a long time to figure out what mine were and then to own them. And I think now I see when I talk to others about mine, I see them go, oh, I have permission now to come up with my superpowers and share it with the world. And I'm like, yes, that's it right there. That's the magic happening. Um, one of my biggest ones, and again, it takes a long time to figure this out. And sometimes you use your friends and family to help you figure out what your superpowers are, which I highly encourage. But I can, I can walk into a room or uh, not like a football stadium, that size is a little too big for me, but I, into a room, into an office, into a board meeting of people I don't know, into a uh, social situation, you know, a bunch of people I don't know are having dinner together, I can walk into that, and I can just kind of feel what everybody's feeling. Um, I can feel what they're feeling pretty quickly and I can assess the situation fairly quickly. And then I know what needs to be filled in to make everybody else comfortable or to make everybody have a good time. I mean, I can literally go into the most effed up situation ever. And I mean, literally bombs dropping in Afghanistan, been there, done that. And everybody is like freaking out. And I can come in and be like, all right, assessment in 20 seconds or less. I know what Tara needs to do to calm everybody down. And I think, um, I mean, that helps me with problem solving in organizations, of course, um, and with people. But yeah, that's one of my favorites uh, is big picture problem solving in groups like that. And um, also helping other people figure out what their story and their superpowers are. Because man, if you can figure out your superpowers, you can get a job, you can score you know, uh, on a good date, you can, you can literally, when you learn how to tell your story with humbleness and ease, um, but with confidence, you're sharing 
your special purpose. You're sharing your specialness. And I think too often many of us hold that in and that's a waste. We should be sharing our specialness with the world because then we all build a community of helping each other in one way or another. That's a, that's a heck of a journey from a shy young girl. No kidding, man. That, that, mean, that was a, like a million push-ups, mental push-ups, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, now it's your turn. What are your superpowers? Yeah, boy, as I said, this this was, I remember when I first had somebody pose this question to me, I said, I don't have any superpowers. I, I'm no, I'm a lot a of super, people say that. Yeah, I'm not a superhero. That's, you know, that's, that's reserved for Spider-Man and, or Wonder Woman. Um, but yeah, so I had to think about it. I had to reflect on it. And so again, I would encourage people to spend a little time, kill a few brain cells to think about this. Yeah. One of the, the things that, that I say is a superpower for me, I say vision, but I mean it in a sense of my powers of observation. I see things that others don't. Um, you know, Steve Jobs was famous for saying, you know, connecting the dots. How can you connect the dots from different parts of, of your life and, and kind of bring those together, which I think is, is incredibly powerful. And let me share a story to, to illustrate this point. I was at the, uh, a Garth Brooks concert. And for all of you that, that are not country music fans, shame on you if you don't know who Garth Brooks is. I hope everybody does. He's the, most, he's, he's the number one selling solo artist in history. Isn't I think a lot wild? of people That's don't wild. realize that. It's, you know, it's not Madonna. It's not Elvis. It's not, you know, anybody like that. It, it's, it's Garth Brooks. And so I did him you, to- did you wear a cowboy hat to this concert? I just have to know. Cause you are the most anti-cowboy hat person I can imagine. <laughs> oh, I, I used to, when I was bull riding, I wore a cowboy oh, hat boy. a lot. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't, the funny thing is I did not wear a cowboy hat to eat. I went to see him twice back when he was huge mm, in the early nineties. Um, and then I seen him again as he started his comeback, I don't know, about five years ago here in Denver. And in and, and both of them, the, the best concerts I've ever seen. And uh, so I'm at this second concert uh, roughly five years ago, and, and I'm watching Garth Brooks. And I'm seeing things that I don't think many people are. I'm not, I, I'm, I'm loving the experience. But what I'm looking at is what Garth Brooks's superpower is. He's the number one selling artist of all time. It's not because he's a great, he doesn't have the, the most amazing voice ever. Most of his, his big hits were not written by him. He's not, a, he's not a, a, a talented songwriter. So what is it that he has that, that's a superpower? And, and you can see this, and this is my superpower of watching this. He connects with his audience like I've never seen a performer do. The only one that I might, um, you know, I didn't grow up in the time of Elvis, you know, per se, but, but watching video of Elvis on stage, he had that, that skill too, that superpower to connect with the audience, I think. And, and Garth has it like I've never seen a performer ever. I mean, it's like an intimate setting. When Garth is on stage, you feel like that's my buddy up there. And how does he do that with a, you know, 40,000 people watching him or, or you know, even more than that in some concerts? So I think that's his superpower. That he connects with people. And my superpower is I watch a concert like that and everybody's going, oh, I love the song and blah, blah, blah. And I'm watching how he's interacting with the audience. I am tuning in to to see that connection that I think a lot of people wouldn't even see. I just, I'm just very, uh, you know, I'm a people watcher and, mm, and I enjoy mm-hmm, watching mm-hmm. people and observing. I can go into a room as well and I can, I can size people up and I do it all the time. It's a habit. 
I size people up and say, okay, what's their story? What's going on with them? And, um, maybe don't take it to the level that you do. I don't know if that I'm in there to, to solve their problems or help them, <laughs> but I do like to, you be, connect with them. I like to sit in the corner. I'm probably more of the introvert sitting in the corner, just assessing the situation, but not saying anything about it or doing anything about it. <laughs> All right. So you have a background in organizational behavior and psychology. And, you know, as we, as we, wind down, uh, at least I think we're winding down on COVID and, and we come out of this, what, uh, what do you see in the future with, with not only, you know, in the workplace, but also in our personal lives, um, as it relates to COVID? I wouldn't say I'm negative, but I always look for the potential most negative outcome of things. I think it, I, I see it in a positive light, but it helps me prepare. Um, and I probably learned that in the air force, but Ron, you know, because we argue about it all the time. I I am the naysayer in, um, and please don't let this hurt your feelings. Spoiler alert: If you need to believe that COVID is ending soon, please tune out for the next thirty seconds. <laughs> I'm warning you. Um, Tara really believes that COVID is here to stay for a while, and it may not be the COVID we've known for the last year. Um, it could be something different uh, or it could go away for a short period and come back. I think um, I, you know, everybody says, uh, is, is this the new normal? What's the new normal? I don't think we're ever, and I think most people are starting to figure this out. We're never going to go back to exactly the way things were. And I think this only is a testament now that we've finally experienced something globally, that there is probably more global stuff that will continue to happen. Um, and I think especially in the workplace, let alone in your family lives or at home or in social circles, taking care of our people is going to have a spotlight on it the way we have never seen before. And we are going to have to finally believe, because it's been around for a while, but we're finally going to have to believe that taking care of your people and creating a great company culture centered around empathy and vulnerability and uh, employee development and personal development is going to be the only thing that helps your bottom line. Because if, you know, um, I think we've heard recently that the average time uh, uh, Gen Z or millennial stays in the workplace is 14 months. Well, you better believe these things are going to get real and uh, even take greater shape as we move forward post-COVID. People are going to be looking for the right places to work. So taking care of our people um, mentally, physically, uh, um, socially is also going to require flexibility because we're going to have to do business like we've never done before. And I don't even know if we know what that looks like yet, but it, that flexibility is going to have to be talking to our people legitimately and understanding what they want. I don't know that I would have said that 10 years ago. It's more like, Hey, this is how it is deal with it. But today's workforce after COVID, we're going to have to be way flexible with how we, you know, work from home, how, what hours people work, how they work, uh, what culture they need, um, that type of thing. So what is this going to require? <laughs> A lot. Empathy training for our leaders. Uh, this is number one, because I've worked for so many leaders, uh, especially in the last 10 years that have zero empathy. I think we're starting to lose empathy as a skill set in our society. And believe it or not, empathy can be taught. Um, we're going to need loads and loads of interventions uh, amongst 
employee groups, corporations. We're going to need training and workshops and CEO coaching and workplaces offering maybe um, therapy or business coaching. People are just going to need more support, period. Uh, especially in my world where I think COVID's not ending anytime soon. Um, we need to start focusing on that and stop putting it on the back burner and kicking the can down the road. Uh, millennials and Gen Z's will not tolerate it. And I think that's fairly well known. We are not going to break them. Talking to you, Gen Xers, I'm a Gen Xer, so is Ron. And baby boomers, we are not going to break these two generations into doing it our way. They are going to break us. So we need to let that happen um, or we're in trouble. And uh, we're going to have to start looking at culture like we never have before. It's not going to be a nicety anymore. It's a necessity. Yeah, I feel like we just got done with a year-long forced boot camp in mental toughness, resilience, and grit, right? We, we got thrown into this and we, we, had to, we had to weather a storm that we've never had to weather before. Some people have learned well in this boot camp. Some have struggled. And, and I don't think, you know, we're here to judge one way or the other. If you, if you struggled, um, that's, that's fine. But I think this idea of training people, developing people to have more mental toughness, resilience, and grit, there will be another storm. As Tara said, uh, yeah, this is a once in a century pandemic, but do you think we're not going to see some other, you know, some ripples, uh, some storms in the future? And how are we going to deal with those? You know, this one caught us off guard, perhaps, uh, but what are you doing now to prepare for the next storm that's coming? So true. And so I think that is that is what's near and dear to our hearts. And this podcast is how can we be part of the solution as we go forward? So, uh, And I'm going to throw a little plug out here. Um, this, is, this is where Ron and I focus our time in helping build resiliency training and mental toughness within businesses and for people individually. So if you are in this industry and want to work with us, please go to our website, um, which we'll throw in the show notes and uh, connect with us. Let's start a conversation. Let's make a difference together. If you are thinking, hey, Tara, I loved what you were saying about narrative. Uh, I wanna talk to you more about that. I'd be happy to chat over email or on the phone or whatever, uh, go to our website, reach out to us and let's get this, uh, this ball rolling in a bigger way because, uh, there can be, there's never going to be too many people working on this problem together. Let's, let's do our signature question. Tara, what is your biggest failure? And maybe share some, I don't know, lessons from that. I'm thinking of one time in particular, but to be honest, my biggest failure is a word that has come up many times in my life. And the word is pride. Um, and what I mean by that, and I'll share a story really quick, is thinking that I could do everything alone and that I could figure it out by myself. Um, and that is linked to ego and pride. And it has bit me in the ass every time. And I don't, I don't really do it anymore because I've learned the value of not doing that and finding mentors and partners and people that are smarter than me and learning from them. And because that only makes me smarter. I, this hit me and I didn't learn from it until years later when I built my first company back in 2012 with my sister actually in Hawaii. And I had never built a company. I had no idea what I was doing. I just uh, really wanted to do it. And so did she. And we had zero business acumen. 
uh, very intelligent, creative people, but uh, no idea how to build financials or hire people, let me tell you. Um, but did we reach out for help or to learn from anyone? No. We tried to research it all on our own, and I see a lot of entrepreneurs do this now. I don't need a mentor. I'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, I don't want to be around smarter people because that makes me feel like I'm a failure and I'm not doing it right, and it embarrasses me. And I felt these things. And so I ignored the need to go find smarter people to help me, and our company failed. And I literally, for years, and I've shared this story before with many entrepreneurs, for years, I've realized that my biggest failure was my biggest learning experience and really changed my life for the better because without that failure, I'm not sure I would have seen the value um, quickly enough about don't try to figure things out on your own. I mean, even if you're gardening in your backyard, go talk to your neighbor who's got a bigger garden and, and ask them for help. It's like making those connections is so beautiful and can help you be your best self way faster. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.